You're listening to Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home. We now present Carmelite Conversations on Carmelite Spirituality with Mark Danis and Francis Harry. Well, welcome back to Carmelite Conversations on Carmelite Spirituality on Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home. So pleased to be with you today as we begin, effectively begin Advent now uh, in studio with me as she is each week, most weeks anyway, Francis, although I've been away from you more this uh, past year than you have been from me, but great to see you. How are you? I'm doing great, feeling very very blessed. Um, here we are beginning Advent and we get to have a conversation about um, how we're going to uh, go through this Advent and make it more meaningful than ever. Now I'm going to put you on the spot, not to ask you a question, but just to say, as is true, I think for many of our listeners, you said to me a moment ago before we came on the air, I don't know, I'm just, I'm in a, you know, sort of a state of waiting, anticipation almost, and you're looking for something you said um, without sort of putting you on the spot. Reflect on that just a little bit, because I think it is true for all of us in this Advent season, isn't it? We translate that childhood experience of waiting to an adult and spiritual experience, and it sort of manifests itself in a different way. How's that for you? Well, I I sit there and I think of Advent as a time of preparing for the coming of the Lord, you know, the birth. And I think, man, how many, how many hundreds, thousands of years that God prepared to come to that point where the Blessed Mother um, gave birth to the child Jesus. And, you know, he prepared all those years. Um, And, you know, so what am I doing? How can I make this the most meaningful Advent? Well, I want to to, uh, go into a deeper, um, more intimate relationship with Jesus through the Immaculate Heart of Mary. And I, I... kind of set up preparing for Advent through, um, I'm doing the consecration, I'm redoing the consecration to Mary. And, um, you know, on December 8th, on her feast day of the Immaculate Conception, Mm -hmm. will be the day we make our consecration again. And I uh, have been doing uh, 33 Days to Morning Glory, which I always enjoy that. Mm -hmm. Um, I've done several, um, and each year I like to do that as we come up to the season. Father Gately. Yeah, right? Father yeah. Gately. And yeah. um, and I keep thinking, you know what, Mark, we should write one for the Carmelites <laughs> <laughs> because we have um, so many saints that have a lot to say about how to preparing for a more intimate relationship with the Lord. So, yes, I am. I am waiting. And, and in that waiting, I was telling you that I was going to work more on listening, yeah. listening to the Lord in prayer. I think it's important that we and we're going to talk about this, obviously, after we pray, but that we do have some sense of anticipation and maybe even a little discomfort at this stage of Advent, only now the second day of Advent. Of course, we're uh, here on Monday, just after Advent Sunday, the first Sunday of Advent, which was yesterday. And there should be perhaps even a little bit of, um, uh, you know, how do I say it? I don't want to use the word anxiety, but, but a sense of preparedness and maybe, um, uh, you know, a desire for us to want to make the most of this Advent season. That's what we're going to talk about. I want us to pray first. So let me, if I can, ask you to lead us in that prayer, Francis. Okay, this um, is a prayer with the Blessed Mother. So let us get calm and recollected. As St. Trisvala would say, um, go within to be with our Lord. And let us pray in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. 
With you, O Mary, is the source of light, and in your light we see light. The light shines in the darkness which cannot overcome it. You bow over the light in deepest contemplation, and in your radiance we walk securely through the darkness. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Amen. Well, as I said, I, I really want us to focus our conversation today, Francis, on this idea of making ourselves ready. And I want to lay down this challenge um, that I certainly did for myself. And Francis asked me as I came into studio tonight, uh, what is it you're doing, you know, Mark? What, what are you doing to make ready the way of the Lord, so to speak? And I want to challenge each of our listeners on a very personal level. Obviously, this is individually between you and Jesus Christ. But what might we challenge ourselves with today to say uh, to ourselves, I want to make this the most impactful Advent season of my entire life? And I think the stakes are very high at this stage of our uh, personal journey, whatever that might be. But for our world, I believe the stakes are very high. You mentioned last week, Francis, after we had come off the air, that we uh, perhaps need to be willing more often to acknowledge what's going on in the world around us. And of course, uh, the last couple of weeks have brought a great deal of tragedy to the world. And for those who are sort of sensitive to um, the dialogue around uh, God's eventual reintervention into our world, uh, without getting too explicit, I guess, um, we do know that Jesus Christ comes to us in a very personal and a very special way uh, through this Advent season every year. And the question then becomes, are we preparing ourselves better this year than we did last year, and in fact, better than we ever have in our entire life. It's like the soil of our soul. Is is it fertile? Um, when the seed is planted, will it blossom and grow? Or will do we have rocky or, or clay in, in our soil? You know, how are we preparing so that um, when the grace comes to us that we, with Mary, and I pray this many times, just this word alone, in the spirit of Mary, fiat, you know, she said yes, and she did not know the full consequences of what she was saying, um, but she said it in great faith. And so, you know, when we pray in union with her and through all time in every place, our prayer goes nuclear, <laughs> mm. you know, and I, I think the Lord um, wants us to say yes, of course, but he he wants us to be open and that we have to do our part. We uh, many times his grace will come unexpectedly and we have an opportunity. But uh, for the most part, uh, it is a, a daily battle. Um, and I think this Advent season, um, we need to work hard to keep ourselves out of the materialistic world, out of the rush, rush, rush of the season, out of um, societal expectations, and, and be true to who God made us to be, which is in his image and likeness. Yeah, I said a moment ago, and I'll reiterate just um, by way of sort of elaborating the point of our discussion, I, I think it's important. It's only Monday after Advent Sunday, so... Um, there's plenty of time left, and we're going to talk through, Francis and I will, uh, the various weeks of Advent and what is emphasized 
throughout those individual weeks, as well as what's emphasized throughout the whole Advent season. But uh, I I just want to leave our listeners with this challenge. What is it that now we could define for ourselves, and you can take the next couple of hours, it doesn't have to be in our hour-long conversation, but uh, take some time this evening, not much beyond this evening, though, and decide for yourselves individually what gift... What spiritual gift, if we think about this in the context of our childhood as uh, those waiting for the arrival of Christ, we know that meant oftentimes the receipt of a wonderful gift or a series of gifts. And we could very quickly think about the gift we wanted, hope that our uh, you know, parents would, would provision that or, or someone would provision it for us, and we could understand how we were going to apply that gift, right? If it was a doll, if it was a football, if it was a, a some toy game board you wanted. We knew in our own minds we could play out. I know exactly what I'm going to do when I get that gift. I would challenge us to do the same thing today with the spiritual gift that we most desire. If it is to deepen our prayer life, what would that look like and how will we affect that change if it is to deepen our understanding our intellectual perhaps understanding of the person of jesus christ if it is to deepen a relationship if it is as francis suggested for herself perhaps to deepen listening um, um, uh, activities what would that look like and we should be thinking now about what it's going to be when we get to unwrap that gift because we've prepared throughout this entire season to receive that gift. And just like we had Thanksgiving recently, what do we do um, as we uh, get ready for that big feast day, uh, that great day of Thanksgiving? Well, you know, you clean your house, you you plan the menu, you're making all these uh, different dishes, all this food. you got to have the main feature, you know. Um, in our house, it was turkey, which was absolutely the best. Um, you... Uh, uh, figure out how you're going to entertain your guests. So a lot of effort goes into that. So, you know, we need to put that effort into our spiritual life. And and so I propose this question. How do you prepare to receive Christ anew within you? How do you want Christ to be born in you? Not just looking at Christ being born in the stable, but how is he being born in you in, in a new way, in a richer way, in a broader way? Um, and how do you clean the house of your soul? Um, what are you going to provide in your house? What food? Uh, is scripture, is it going to be scripture? Is it going to be uh, reaching out in acts of mercy as we start this jubilee um, uh, of the year of mercy. You know what things can we do um, in response to God's call to come closer? Yeah, and one other point about this, uh, Francis, in an article that you shared with me, um, and I'll use the title though. I'll, I'll hesitate with this one word, but it was the title of this particular article uh, on the Catholic Exchange, and it was titled. Why Advent Should Terrify You. Now, we're going to go through that article um, in a few moments after we've gone through the various stages of Advent. But uh, an interesting question, why should Advent terrify yeah, you? Yeah, when course, I saw that title, I was like, oh, i got to read this because I've never thought of it in that terms. Why should Advent terrify yeah, me? <laughs> there are aspects of Advent, of the coming of the Lord, both uh, in his second coming as well as his 
coming to us individually that really should at least awaken us. Let's use that word, if I may. Well, we do have some special words uh, today from uh, a great saint, a famous saint of ours within Carmel, St. John of the Cross, who, as we will discuss in a couple of weeks, in many ways is the perfect saint for Advent. We won't elaborate that too much uh, today because we're going to do an entire program on St. John of the Cross. Of course, his feast day is coming up on December 14th. Francis and I will actually be in studio on the 14th. So we're going to take the time uh, to dedicate our conversation not only to St. John of the Cross, but more to the point, since we've done quite a bit of uh, material on him in the past and past programs. But we're going to want to focus that conversation on how it is that St. John of the Cross, in a very special way, is the Advent saint. But we have some special words for him today that, uh, Francis, if you don't mind, I'd ask you to read them, and then we can just talk about these for a moment. All right, this is from one of the stanzas of one of his poems. Never was fount so clear, undimmed and bright. From it alone I know proceeds all light, although tis night. Yeah, for many of us, uh, this may be, as I said a, a few moments earlier, a time of darkness. We may be residing in or struggling with uh, a a real state of oppression or darkness. It's true for so many, unfortunately, at this time of year, Uh, whereas uh, the Advent season, Christmas season, brings great joy to many people. uh, Equally so does it bring uh, darkness and and depression to some. And so uh, whether it's a spiritual or a psychological, uh, whether Christmas for you has never lived up to its expectations or your expectations of it, uh, for for many we can find ourselves in this night, in this darkness. Now, St. John of the Cross was not writing this specifically uh, for Advent, but he is referring, as we will when we discuss Uh, both Advent and St. John's unique role in Advent, this image of light, so powerful. Of course, John is referring to external light. That's true, very much so. But more to the point, he's referring to that interior light available within each of us. Of course, we know this to be the Holy Spirit. And what John would advocate is our interior, as Francis said a moment ago, sort of eschewing the external, what our world would like to impose on us as the message of Christmas, and looking instead to the interior to find the light within. John is the master of this, of course, in Carmelite spirituality. And he'd even more so during the Advent season would advocate that we seek that gift, that we seek that light, that we seek that presence deep within ourselves, not in the commercials, not in the movies, not in the music, admirable as all of that may be, and I don't mean to diminish it, but the real true light of this season is going to be found within us, not in some exterior uh, manifestation of a worldly image of Christmas. And I found a, a commentary on that stanza by Thomas Merton, and he said, it is not so much that we come through darkness to light as that the darkness itself is light. And I pondered that line itself, and um, I actually had a conversation with another Carmelite earlier today who's recovering from a very uh, major surgery, and it's going to be maybe a long recovery. And I I was remembering my surgery about a year ago, 
and, you know, how it changed the prayer and how even in the midst of the darkness of this illness that makes it so that, you know, um, you, it, your focus is not there. You, you, you can't read your, uh, I'm sure the, the medicines or anesthesia have an effect on that, but you have to change the way. And I was saying to her how, you know, in my experience of that, um, as was hers, you know, it's, our prayer became just an offering of this suffering on the cross. But so in the darkness of the physical uh, uh, recovery, uh, there was the light that this suffering was uh, redemptive because it, you know, joined with the Lord. But it also gave us a, a new opening on how our prayer can be uh, manifested in a different way. So it was a learning experience as well. Um, and, John, uh, Thomas Merton goes on to say that um, night means the darkening of all of our natural desires, our natural understanding, our human way of loving. But this darkening brings with it an enlightenment. The greater our sacrifice, the deeper the night into which we plunge, the more promptly and more completely will we be enlightened. So all is grace, as Therese would say, um, all is coming from the hand of the Lord. And if we look to the Lord and ask for the light of the Holy Spirit to guide us through these times of darkness, we too will see that uh, the night has a light. <laughs> and so it is, you know, make the next step forward, you know, and uh, respond favorably to the Lord's call. Yes, responding favorably means being able to see not only uh, where we are in this Advent season, but in the context of the Advent season and in the context, the church would say, of the entire liturgical calendar, which Advent is the beginning of. Most right. people think it's the end because it's the end of our year. But actually, uh, we are now entering the beginning of the church's right. liturgical year. And so just a brief history lesson, since I did my homework. <laughs> Thank you, Francis. Um, <laughs> This uh, season, actually, of Advent began around the 10th or 11th century uh, and was then considered to be the beginning of the liturgical year. Um, it made sense to begin with Christ's birth, and this idea of Christmas was actually introduced into the church around the 4th century. Uh, so the celebration of Christ's entry into the world began about the 4th century. And there is a danger if we see the liturgical year uh, only in the context of Christ's birth and then later at the Easter season. Like history, like yeah. just marking historical moments. Right. Yeah, that can be a problem. Yeah, instead of this historical mentality, Jesus is dying and rising is at the very center of the liturgical year, and it provides an interpretive tool. Essentially, this means that the festivals and the liturgical year lead us into a greater appreciation of our participation through our baptism and daily living into the redemptive mystery of Christ. This is how we have to see the liturgical year. And, and, and I think when you said participation, that is critical. It, it's not just observing. It is participating in, with, through him, with him, in him. And it's an important thing, I think, and I, I know many of our listeners are certainly very familiar with the uh, uh, concept of the liturgical year, but it is important, Francis just stressed it again, that we enter into it. This is the beginning. This is the time for renewal. This is the time, as we said, to look again at ourselves and say, you know, my last Advent was good, or maybe it wasn't so good. I want 
want to make this one the very best I've ever experienced in my life, whether I'm 12 or whether I'm 82 or whether I'm 100. I want this to be the very best year, liturgically, the very best Advent of my entire life. So this first Sunday of Advent has to do with this idea of new beginnings. Take this week, very deliberately take this week and set a course and say, just as I suggested, new beginnings. It's time for me to look at my spiritual journey, refocus my efforts and energy, and I want a new beginning that begins today. And one of those activities might uh, come out to be uh, a commitment to go to uh, daily Mass. Uh, And if you already go once a week, um, more than the, the Sunday obligation, maybe it, it'll be to, to go more frequently. Or maybe this would be a good one, to try to go to confession weekly during this Advent season to prepare the soil of your soul for, for the uh, influx of grace that we know is always being offered. So, I mean, there are things that we can do. Um, maybe it's reaching out to um, the neighbors around you, maybe to the elderly, maybe to a new mother that needs help help taking care of the baby, uh, doing the shopping, helping somebody uh, do their Christmas shopping for them because they're not able to move so uh, easily. So there's many ways that we can uh, work this. But, you know, we have to sit down and really try to pick something and and go with it. Uh, some people who are, who are bound at home, maybe it is, you know, pick up a, a spiritual book that will help you to focus. Maybe it's going on the computer to the bishop's website and and reading the uh, prayers of Advent and their commentaries on those prayers, which are very beautiful. I just discovered those today myself. And I was like, I didn't know they did a commentary on the Advent prayers and they're beautiful. We so sh- we, can, we yeah. can come up with all kinds of things. Yeah. And the important thing is, Francis just stressed it, pick something and go with it. Stay with it. You know, it, it's easy to say, well, I tried that for a few days and it really wasn't for me. So I'm going to change uh, and go in a different direction. Eh, maybe if you do that once, that's okay. But, uh, you know, one change after you've made a decision. But try to discipline yourself to say, no, it's going to be, I'm going to recite the rosary every day. Or if you're doing it once a day, maybe you could do twice or three times a day. Whatever it is, pick something. And as Francis said, stay with it. And I'd ask you to pick a saint to accompany you. Um, and maybe... Uh, Maybe the uh, most perfect one would be to ask Mary to accompany you on this Uh, journey to Bethlehem. (laughs) Absolutely. The Blessed Mother, St. Joseph, who, of course, were were there through the Advent season, the original Advent season. uh, And we'll advocate St. John of the Cross in a couple of weeks and and give reason for that. But certainly you'll never go wrong with the Blessed Mother and St. Joseph. Well, let me, before we go to a break, we've got just a little more time, talk about the second week. And then I want to link these two weeks, Francis, to the... Advent wreath. You mentioned the importance of the Advent wreath, and we have some um, uh, literature on that as well. So the second week of Advent is called eschatology week, or this theological term derived from the two um, Greek words, meaning word or science of the end times. Eschatology is the end times. It's, of course, a major theme in Christian theology because at the ascension, Jesus promised to return again. His second coming is an overriding story during the last weeks of the ordinary time, which we just celebrated the closure of. In these first two weeks of Advent, this reminds us that we as Christians live not 
um, uh, must live justly now, of course, but that we will eventually be gathered into eternal glory. So the second week of Advent, Francis, the theme eschatology, the end times, we're going to see a lot of that in the writings over the course of this week as we, if we are able to attend a daily mass and so forth, we've begun to see some of that. Uh, but, but it's important. And when we come back from the break, we're going to go to that document about being perhaps terrified of the coming of, of Advent, uh, because it also does mean the second coming of Jesus, and it is in preparation for that. Well, and on this second week of Advent, we also think of John the Baptist preparing the way of the Lord, and he is out there um, leading us. And, you know, what would it be like if we were a modern-day John the Baptist? What would that look like? Is there a modern-day John the Baptist out there? Are we listening to them? You know, how is it changing our hearts? I just want to quickly have you touch on the symbols of the wreath, the Advent wreath. So many people may have been raised with the Advent wreath and are very familiar with it. We'll talk about the colors later, but just these first two weeks, what, what's the significance and, and the meaning of the lights that we light on the candle? Well, the first candle, which we lit yesterday, um, would be the prophet's candle, and that would be symbolizing hope. And that's all the prophets leading up to the the birth of Christ. So and, new beginnings right. grounded in hope. Right. And then the second candle is the Bethlehem, Bethlehem candle, symbolizing the faith. And I, I think of the Bethlehem star uh, and the faith the, of the Magi following the star. Um, so, so here again, the linkage, eschatology, end times. We know we have faith in what the end times will bring for us. And the faith is the light that leads us into Christ. So a little linkage to the Advent wreath. We'll continue that theme as well as explaining the last two weeks of Advent uh, before going into a little bit further explanation about our own preparation. A reminder, you're listening to Carmelite Conversations on Carmelite Spirituality on Radio Maria. We'll be right back. there be light, let there be light again For into the dark the sun has sent We will see and we will see once more For unto us the light is born
You're listening to Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home. We now return to Carmelite Conversations on Carmelite Spirituality with Mark Danis and Francis Harry. Well, welcome back to Carmelite Conversations on Carmelite Spirituality. We are discussing today in studio the season of Advent. Of course, we just began. Advent Sunday was yesterday, kicking off the Advent season. And our challenge is to make the most out of this Advent season, more so, more impactful uh, than we ever have experienced in our entire life. And how do we do that? Each person, of course, has to wrestle uh, with that question, Francis, on their own and come to their own conclusion, of course, in prayer, asking the Lord and the Holy Spirit to guide them what would be most meaningful for them. But the church does give us, as we talked about, significance to the liturgical calendar and in the context of Advent, uh, four major weeks. We've discussed the first two. The first one, of course, which we're in now, New Beginnings, and you brought up uh, the focus of the Advent wreath, that first candle, uh, being focused on hope. The second week discusses eschatology, or the end times. And uh, even the first week of Advent has some of the readings related to end times, the day of the Lord, and the Messianic age. 
Um, the second set of readings, which you also made reference to, are those from John of the Baptist regarding preparing the way of the Lord. This is what we'll hear uh, over the course of the second week of Advent. Um, that is preparing not only, um, you know, as you made reference to, Francis, our homes and uh, our circumstances, but our own hearts making ourselves ready, smoothing the way uh, for the Lord's arrival. And uh, we want to make sure that we focus as much as we can on the readings because they are there to guide us into the uh, significance of the liturgical time of year. But but I want to go back just a bit and, and focus on the um, reading from yesterday. We have, of course, the first Sunday of Advent, uh, the reading that we um, were provided yesterday. I'm going to ask Francis to read it because... Uh, as we just said, this is where we are right now, and this is what the church is using to guide and direct us along this first week. So if we can, let's read the first Sunday of Advent, just the gospel reading. Jesus said to his disciples, there will be signs in the sun, the moon, and the stars. And on earth, nations will be in dismay, perplexed by the roaring of the sea and the waves. People will die of fright in anticipation of what is coming upon the world, for the powers of the heavens will be shaken. And then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. But when these signs begin to happen, stand erect and raise your heads, because your redemption is at hand. Beware that your hearts do not become drowsy from carousing and drunkenness and the anxieties of daily life, and that day catch you by surprise like a trap. For that day will assault everyone who lives on the face of the earth. Be vigilant at all times and pray that you have the strength to escape the tribulations that are imminent and to stand before the Son of Man." Does that awaken anything in us, Francis? <laughs> <laughs> I think that starts to awaken that sense of terrifying. <laughs> yeah, it's probably a good transition, actually, for us to now go to that article from the Catholic Exchange. Uh, this is an article, actually, that Francis found, and I, I'm not sure what you triggered to have this come up, but you said it caught your attention. Well, I was doing some research about Advent a couple years ago, um, and I was preparing a seminar on John of the Cross, and, and I came across that title, Why Advent Should Terrify You, and I'm like, well, I never had thought of Advent as terrifying, <laughs> and so I was like, well, I've got to read this, and you know, there's some something that um, in that article really resonates, especially considering the reading that we just read um, from the Gospel, the first Sunday of Advent. Yeah, I don't want to read all of this word for word. It's fairly lengthy, but there are obviously some very good uh, points raised here, not the least of which are the scripture verses that the author uses. I'm just going to begin uh, the introductory material of it. It says, ever since I was a little girl, this is the author, of course, my mother and I go, uh, would go to a sing-along of Handel's incredible masterpiece, The Messiah, during the season of Advent. We'd bundle up, grab our music scores, find a seat with our fellow uh, altos and sing our hearts out. If you've never really listened to Messiah, she says, you must do it during Advent. And this would be uh, one thing that we could do this Advent that maybe touch us in a different way. Really enter into the the Messiah. You're right. My, the words, uh, yeah. Yeah, my, my wife and I have done that in the past, really tried to 
uh, you know, deepen our appreciation for the the masterpiece by Handel, and uh, it would be a good way, I think, to uh, to enhance our own experience. Because the Messiah begins with the words of the biblical prophets foretelling the coming of the Lord, and then it goes into Saint Luke's Gospel and shares the joy of the nativity. And so, you know, within the music, you you've got scripture uh, bringing together uh, the listener to Calvary and on to resurrection. So you end, you end on this happy note. And um, so, uh, you know, sometimes uh, it's just a word will strike you. And, and you might have done the Messiah before, and maybe this year when you listen to it, a different word will strike you because that's how the Holy Spirit works. So there's this one scripture passage from Haggai, um, chapter 2, verse 6-7, and here it is. Thus saith the Lord, the Lord of hosts, yet once a little while, and I will shake the heavens and the earth, the sea and the dry land, and I will shake all nations, and the desire of all nations shall come. So when I read this article, Mark, and I'm like reading that and thinking of the Messiah, and I'm like, well, yeah, the author's got a point. That does sound rather scary. You know, when you think about shaking the earth, especially people who've gone through major um, earthquakes, they, they have a sense of shaking. Uh, but there's also the shaking of, of events happening in your life that just, you know, just change your perspective. And sometimes it's a good shakeup and sometimes it doesn't feel very good. But, you know, the God, God makes good of all things. Well, and it's so uh, much in line with the uh, gospel reading that you just read a moment ago, isn't right. it, where he talks about shaking of heaven and earth. Um, the image, of course, for this young girl, she says, didn't seem to fit with a room full of folks singing along, wearing Christmas sweaters and eating cookies. Right. Uh, but, but nonetheless, she says, um, you know, this is part of the message and we have to be aware. Uh, she says, I don't enjoy being shaken up. I like to be in control. I like predictability. I like security. Well, we all do, don't we, Francis? We all want to be able to sort of control. But she also says later in this article, I thought it was very insightful, um, and, and I'm going to sort of paraphrase her words, but she says, we've done ourselves this terrible disservice by making Christmas soft and cuddly, and we focus on the lamb and the lights, and, you know, it's all very beautiful, but we should understand that this is, uh, I think she said early on, you know, Christmas is not kid stuff. I thought that was a great line yeah. as well. This is the real McCoy, so to speak, right? I mean, Jesus is coming, and let's let's just take this down to a very personal level. We're uh, obviously aware of the second coming, but on a very personal level, is Jesus coming? I wrote an article last year, I recall, um, emphasizing... Um, Jesus is coming, and the degree to which he will enter into our hearts is the degree to which we prepare our hearts. Right. Now, yes, that should leave us uh, somewhat, um, um, I guess, uh, shaken, certainly not fearful, uh, but aware. And uh, the question then becomes, how well are we preparing for that coming? If after Christmas we can sit back and say, well, wasn't any different than any other Christmas, all seemed the same to me, well, where is the... Uh, I, I don't want to say fault, but, you know, where's the responsibility there? If this Christmas ends up being no different for us, if this Advent ends up being no different for us than any one of a number of Advents that we may have experienced before, what do we uh, 
you know, have as a responsibility for that. And what must we do now here, only in the second day of Advent? How can we be preparing so it isn't on January 2nd? Oh, it's just another Christmas season, nothing different. Right. And, you know, I I often think of Advent, and you know, as we prayer, prepare for the coming of the Lord, for his second coming, but also celebrate anew his coming um, through um, Mary. Um, I, I also think of, um, you know, what if I die today um, and the Lord comes to me? And, you know, I, I'm looking at the Lord and, you know, I'm being shown my life as many people have shared their near death experiences, you know, okay, how do I view my life? You know, uh, how is God seeing me? You know, and, and like John the cross tells us, love is repaid by love alone. And, uh, and we know at the end of life, that's how we'll be judged by our love. Uh, not necessarily what we've accomplished, how much money we've made, how famous we are. Any or even, of that. <laughs> even the measure of our good works, right? Right. right. It's how much we love. So that's the question. How much have I loved? So, you know, in preparing, you know, the church talks about these end times and preparing the way, Lord. Um, but also we need to prepare for our own deaths, for our, for our own coming to, to the Lord, for his second coming uh, in the sense of coming to us uh, on that day. And, and, you know, for many, it's like a thief in the night. You don't know the day. And some uh, know that they have a, a diagnosis and they have a lot of time to prepare. Uh, what a grace that is in my mind. Um, but sometimes it's a very sudden thing. But we all, in faith, we know that the time is best um, when the Lord calls us, that that is the best and that he will make good of the circumstances for us in, in our favor. Um, we know she goes on in this uh, reflection of her participation in the singing of the Messiah. She says, um, you know, it gets a little worse, she says, as, one, uh, uh, as, as the music continues, a soloist stands up and sings the words from Malachi 3.2, which read, But who may abideth the day of his coming, and who shall stand when he appeareth? Or he is like a refiner's fire. Yeah, that she refiner's says, fire that, that purifies the metal, right? Uh, removing the flaws. And you know how it is when somebody points out a blind spot to you or a, a circumstance. Uh, it comes to light that, oh, well, I wasn't very charitable there or I really stretched it there. You know, uh, you know that is not very comforting. <laughs> and no. yet, And yet, as painful as that can be, thank God, because, you know, now the light has shown on this darkness within us and you know it can be repaired the lord will make all things new again we just cooperate it's easier if somebody challenges us and perhaps wounds our pride it's easier to react negatively and defend ourselves we feel more comforted in that than if we have to look ourselves in the mirror and say yeah i really am that way you know i'm not charitable or i wasn't very patient or i was a bit selfish in that circumstance and to have to admit that to ourselves this is really the beginning of purgation this is the cleansing uh, that the lord and the refiner's fire is talking about she uses exactly that analogy francis of precious metal having to you know be refined by that refiner's fire and of course we know uh, the the impurities when that process occurs all come to the surface right they bubble to the surface and it happens the same way with us this is how we are healed the deficiencies within us the impurities within us 
when they're put under the pressure or the heat of the refiner's fire, they come to the surface. It's called sin. And it's the cleansing of that sin that leads to our purification, not the misguided perception that we've somehow eradicated sin within us. It is bringing it out to the surface, accepting it in humility, being purified of it by the forgiveness of the Lord, and then going in and continuing that that refinement process. Well, that brings up the question she asked. She said, so how do we move from abject terror at the idea of the incarnation, this, you know, coming before, you know, he who, who can stand before, you know, how do we move from that to the joy of Christmas? And she says, and I like this, I think it has to do with letting go of the sin that we cling to. So John of the Cross comes in here. Yes, detachment. And I'm thinking of the night of the sense and the night of the spirit and those the levels of purification, the purification of, of our outward world and our, and our exterior senses to the purification of the interior senses of the memory, the intellect, and the will. Um, and, you know, growing in spiritual poverty, uh, spiritual uh, uh the spiritual gifts within. So, uh, but we do have to do our share. We have yeah, to cooperate. She says, we have to submit. We have to lay down our false security, our desire for control, all the things that she just said uh, she holds on to desperately. We have to, she says, we have to let him shake us up. We have to offer our hearts to him so that he can consume all our sin with the fire of his immeasurable love until we are stripped of all impurity, and it won't happen in just one Advent season. You know, we're looking at a lifetime experience here, Francis, and as I said a moment ago, this should be the best Advent of our life. It may not be the last Advent of our life, but it needs to be the best one of our life. And we're back to that critical question. What is it the Lord is asking me to do in this Advent season to better prepare myself for his coming? In uh, hope, initially, with a new beginning, recognizing this eschatological or the end time reality of his coming. And as Francis said, the end time will be both, um, um, you know, in the uh, larger sense, Christ's second coming, as well as his personal individual coming to us at the day of our, of our death. It should cause us some concern, but there is that joy of Christmas. And so we want to talk in just a moment about the third and fourth weeks of Advent, which will introduce us to that. Well, this final little segment that the author used in this article, she was pondering this passage and who can stand when he appears. And she says, and I love this. As I meditated on this verse, I considered the image of Our Lady at the Annunciation. So just picture that. She's kneeling and saying, be it done unto me according to thy word, you know, her fiat. So who can stand? Well, we certainly cannot be standing. We need to kneel like Mary, giving our own fiat with her, offering our hearts to be shaken up and our sin to be burned away. I thought she summarized that so beautifully. I thank her for that article. I wish I knew her name. I did not get the her name on that. Uh, it was a blogger uh, name and um so we don't know who it is. The exactly. Lord will credit her with the Let's graces for yeah. sharing that wonderful insight with us. And she does talk about moving to the joy of Christmas. And so this third week of Advent, the turning point, it is called, is the week of rejoicing. Now, the third Sunday of Advent is traditionally called Gadet Sunday. You may have been... Uh, or Gadate. Gadate, right. You may have been uh, introduced to that term before. Uh, this is the day of rejoicing. The coming of our Savior is near. And the first reading of this Sunday reiterates that theme of joy and rejoicing. In fact, uh, this particular week, 
Francis, the, the gospel readings uh, continue to focus on John the Baptist, while the first and second readings convey the joy of Christmas. Feeling increases, this closeness of the incarnation, anticipation, we used that term before. The readings of this third week really begin to move us into uh, a sense of joy, anticipation, uh, the realization that rejoicing is is available to us, that something is about to change. There is going to be an incarnation. And again, the question for each of us is, to what extent will we allow Christ to be incarnated in us? This is a wonderful teaching from Elizabeth of the Trinity, where she talks about, even in her her uh, prayer to the Trinity, she talks about, make me another incarnation. Yes. Let Christ dwell within me. Yeah, that's beautiful. And that this is the pink candle. Uh, the third candle of Advent is the pink one, symbolizing joy. And this is where the priests wear rose-colored vestments. Um, and it's also called the shepherd's candle. Uh, and I think that helps us to remember their humble stance um, and their listening stance. They're out there with their flocks, at night and and they're in the still of the night and then the angels appear <laughs> with this great holy 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 now we've, we've sort of given that away but the three colors and again many of our listeners are no doubt familiar with this uh, there are three purple candles and one pink candle mm-hmm. now they are there is the alternative and interestingly i noted this in my own church on sunday uh, where they used four white candles so all four candles are actually white there oh is really a, because yeah. i I was of the tradition that once uh, Christmas occurs, then you remove the pink and purple candles and put white ones in its place. (laughs) Yeah, that's an alternative way of doing it as well. But um, I want to make sure we don't miss this point. You just stressed it. The third candle is actually the pink candle. Right. You know, many people think, well, four weeks, so there's three purples in the in the fourth one, and it's pink. No, it's not actually true. It's the it's the third it's the one third week. that we light for um, this symbolizing of joy in the shepherd's candle, as uh, Francis just described. Well, and then, this is also when we start to, um, starting December 17th, which is usually around that third week, where we start the O Antiphons, you know, O Wisdom of God Most High, O Leader of the House of Israel, O Root of Jesse Stim, O Key of David, O Radiant Dawn, O King of All Nations, O Emmanuel. And that's when that song is most prevalent, is near the end, um, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. But this, the O Antiphons lead us right into the birth of Christ. You know, we can never go wrong if we just stay with what the church is providing us in the liturgical calendar. And in that vein, I want to step back one second and ask if you would, Francis, read us the uh, reading that will be this Sunday. Well, we've read the reading from yesterday, the gospel reading. We should be reflecting on that every day of this week. We should reflect on Sunday's reading because it really sets the stage for Advent. But this upcoming Sunday, we also want to prepare for. So maybe Wednesday night we begin or Thursday we begin looking at this second gospel reading, the second Sunday of Advent. Would you mind reading that for us? John went throughout the whole region of the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of the prophet Isaiah, a voice of one crying out in the desert, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight his paths. Every valley shall be filled, and every mountain and hill shall be made low. The winding roads shall be made straight, and the rough ways made smooth, and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. 
Now, what powerful words. And again, um, that will be the reading for this upcoming Sunday. Francis mentioned it earlier. If you go on the U.S. Uh, CCB site, you can trigger a link to Advent readings, and you can get all of the Advent readings. For me, it's the best way, and you referenced the fact that they offer reflection uh, on the collect and on the readings themselves. That's the best way to enter in more deeply to uh, Scripture, uh, most especially the uh, liturgical emphasis on Advent and what it is that the Church is revealing to us, um, and, and take some time with that. That may be uh, added to the list, I guess, Francis, of things that you rattled off a moment ago about ways that we might deepen our Advent experience. The importance being pick something and stay with it. Well, we're going to close by just quickly covering the fourth Sunday of Advent. We'll come back to this, of course. But this is reflecting on the word mystery. Mystery was a favored term, of course, in the writings of St. Paul in the early church, so much so that sacraments were known as the mysteries. And I don't want us thinking of mystery as something hidden from us, something secretive, uh, something that is... um, um, you know, unapproachable. In fact, mystery in the Greek actually means gift. It is something that is given. Now, in fairness, in analogous to our Christmas experience, the gift may well be wrapped and it may be sitting there under the tree. So we don't know exactly what it is, but we live in anticipation that we will open that gift. We will receive that gift. Now we can, again, go back to the childhood analogy of, you know, Santa's making his list and checking it twice. <laughs> well, Christ makes his list too, and he's he may be checking it two or three times, but he's not, looking, nice? <laughs> yeah, he's not looking for the naughty or nice. He's only looking for the ways in which we desire him and the ways in which we seek him. And what's the candle significance of this fourth week, Francis? What is it in the Advent wreath that we're going to be focusing on? It's well, This is the fourth candle, and it's the purple one, the last purple one. Mm -hmm. It's the angel's candle, and it's symbolizing peace. And I think of because the arrival of the Prince of Peace. Yeah, I love that analogy, the angel's candle. Of course, we know the angel announced his coming to the shepherds, um, the significance of uh, Christ now being revealed, the incarnation, the experience of it all uh, culminating in this fourth week. And what does Christ bring? Peace. Yes, we hope peace for a world that is desperately in need of it, but most especially peace within our hearts, a peace the world cannot give, he told us. We've got to desire that. We've got to go seeking it. We have to find it, most especially in prayer, entering into the Mass. We do that best by entering into the readings, reflecting on them, using the Advent readings as our means of entering in more deeply. And I encourage you, uh, listeners, please take this Advent season and make it the best one of your life. The best way for us to do that, Francis, is to pray. And so I'd ask you to close us in prayer. This comes from the first Sunday of Advent, the Collect. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Grant your faithful, we pray, Almighty God, the resolve to run forth to meet your Christ with righteous deeds at his coming, so that, gathered at his right hand, they may be worthy to possess the heavenly kingdom. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, thank you again, listeners, for being with us. A reminder, we'll continue this Advent theme throughout the course of the next three weeks. And a reminder, you've been listening to Carmelite Conversations, a program on Carmelite spirituality on Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home. Until next week, God bless.